Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. I took my 88-year-old father to Sunnybrook yesterday to get his first injection of the Pfizer vaccine. Once out, he showed me that his second vaccine will not be in three weeks, but rather in four months on July 3rd, 2021. Question. Did the CEO of Pfizer authorize this, or was it a political decision? I'm furious about this situation. I hope that you can address this issue today on your show. Regards, Gus Prokos. Dr. Rao, thank you very much for the time. And what do you make of what you just heard? I think this is turning into a political football that it shouldn't be. Now, I'm an equal opportunity abuser. I'm ready to criticize the government when I'm not happy. But this is a case where I think they're actually doing the right thing. And I'll explain, this is a little bit like utilitarianism, where you say we give the greatest good to the greatest number, rather than giving a few perfection. And the actual gain with the second dose, as we're learning more and more, it's substantial, but it's not such that getting one dose gives you almost no protection and two doses gives you massive protection. And everyone's running around with those initial numbers of 95% vaccine efficacy, which were based on clinical trials with the Pfizer vaccine with low-hanging fruit types of patients, the easiest types of people to vaccinate with no risk factors, not elderly, in a very controlled setting. And we know the real-life experience with this vaccine is that it's more like 80 to 90% efficacious. And with one dose, in some cases, you're still hitting that 80. So making it a political football isn't a good idea. Another thing that I think is going on is if a shipment of Pfizer vaccine shows up, you'll have a situation where they have under-promised and they'll over-deliver and they'll shorten that interval from four months to two months, but it gives wiggle room. So I'm not so alarmed by it. I think it's a big story that doesn't deserve so much discussion, but it's too bad that Nasty initially said the AstraZeneca vaccine shouldn't be given to older people because it wasn't proven in a population, and then you turn around and have them recommending something that's also not proven. So you get into an optics problem. Like on one hand, they follow evidence when it's available. On another hand, they don't. So it's creating chaos and bad communications. So you don't have any concerns or... I can don't hear any concerns about an 88-year-old being having a second vaccination extended out for four months. As long as that first dose was given, no, I don't. I look. So, I so deal- the age, the age isn't a factor. Well, the age is a factor for that person to get the vaccine, and if that person gets two doses, there's another 80-year-old in the community who didn't get it, who could be hit by the truck of COVID when you're 80. So I think you're you're preventing more people from seeing it front on not with the perfection that two doses might offer, but this is the middle of a pandemic. It's an emergency. So emergency measures should be deployed. The the other thing is the rate of disease is falling in any event. By the time we get to considering second doses, the rates should have fallen further despite all the discussion about variants. So I think we all need to calm down and that includes the opposition party. I think they should be focusing on the lifting of restrictions rather than chasing the vaccine debacle just for the sake of optics, because it's just, it's just creating yeah, our whole, our whole national concern has been, well, I shouldn't say our whole national concern, but our primary national concern has been with those 80 and over. And, yes. and then and, now we have the National Advisory Committee on Immunization recommending the AstraZeneca vaccine, which you know better than most, not be given to anybody who's over the age of 65. So you have uh, individuals who are between 60 and 64 being vaccinated in different provinces across the country while the older, uh, the older cohort is waiting. It just doesn't make yeah. any sense to me. Well, 
I wish they had not done that with the AstraZeneca vaccine. There are other countries that didn't do that. And now it's made it a communications nightmare. If they had said, listen, we're not following the label completely with regards to uh, the evidence completely regards to the AstraZeneca vaccine. We're going to give it to people over 80. The urgency is to get people over 80 done. I think we would have had a better communication story. So maybe that should change in the next while to make this go better. That's but it's what more I than a, Isn't it more than a communication nightmare? Because you have 80-year-olds who are not getting the vaccine because NASA or NACI, whatever however it's pronounced, <laughs> yeah, the National NASA. Advisory Committee on Immunization, have said if you're over 65, you shouldn't get it. So you have 80-year-olds waiting while 64-year-olds are getting uh-huh. it. Yeah, but if people get at least one dose, I don't think it's that some people are getting a lifeboat off the Titanic while others are not. So I'm not so worried about this as a problem. So um, I think at the end of the day, I think at the end of the day, it's um, not going to be as big a deal as it sounds. Because, again, the disease rates are also starting to fall. So I'm just not as alarmed about it. If we were in the middle of a rising pandemic now, I think there could be more concern. But even so, then it would be an even bigger argument to vaccinate the highest risk people quickly. You've done the nursing homes pretty thoroughly, variable around Canada, but we've done a lot of them. And now we're looking at people in the community and working our way down in terms of age tranches. So I, I don't think it's such a big deal. It's getting more pressed than it should, in my opinion. Well, I'm, I'm going to disagree with you for once on something. Okay. I'm going to disagree with you on this. Because the National Advisory Committee on Immunization, if they hadn't made those recommendations, this wouldn't be going on. Well, I think they would have still recommended... With the shortage They're of the vaccine. only ones. They're the only ones. No one else is doing it. Well, we, we're the only country, one of the few countries in the world that doesn't make our own vaccines as G7 countries. So, oh, as, that. as so that's part of the problem. So we have to make some desperate decisions. I'm, it's not great what happened. It was not due to lack of good intention, but it's darn bad luck. And so in a shortage situation, how do you adapt? I don't blame them for the government and NASI for coming out with the idea that we have to go after the highest risk people as quickly as possible. And eking out a limited, a limited amount of gasoline to multiple cars rather than letting some cars drive and others not drive, if I can give an analogy, I think it's okay. But I do think this interval is not going to end up being four months. I think at the end of the day, people will migrate around the world to all of the other vaccines, the J&J vaccine uh, and the uh, AstraZeneca vaccine, and that's going to create capacity in terms of the Pfizer vaccine and Moderna vaccines to come to Canada, and it'll probably come sooner. They're probably banking on it, but even if they didn't, I'm not sure four months is as horrible as it sounds. The optics are bad because we've had mixed messages. That's the problem. We shall see. Um, You're not going mainstream (laughs) on me, are you? (laughs) I'm not going mainstream when it comes to the restrictions. I think Toronto's still (laughs) being an essential lockdown. That's pretty darn bad. We can talk about that, too. (laughs) (laughs) We shouldn't be laughing, but... We have some off-the-air conversations, you and I as well. Look, uh, let's get a – and we have about two minutes here, and a little after, the tense time is not necessarily a bad thing. Uh, you wrote – co-wrote an op-ed uh, exactly a year ago, and I want we have two minutes, and I want you to just speak to it, please. You pick out what you want to say, because in the op-ed, it was, it was headlined, Why Draconian Measures May Not Work. Now, this was March the 15th, 2020. What were you saying? What do you want to say a year later? I think it's still true. I think that they've only been partly successful and we still don't know which actions worked and which didn't. At that time, we weren't talking about universal masking, which is another difficult thing to talk about another time, Uh, a difficult measure that we have to talk about another time, how we can peel back where and when. But right now we're all doing what what public health tells us to do. I do think what we did say is that this was unstoppable and it's proven to be the case. A lot of people think 
but for this action or that action that we could have stopped it. If we'd closed the borders, we would have stopped it. Only island nations have been successful in really holding it back, and we'll see how long it works. We've discovered that seasonality is a very big player, both against our favor through the fall, and now spring is coming and it's in our favor. So what we do, how much we do something may not be as big a player as other natural forces. And I think that's still what we talked about then. And the other thing we did talk about last year is that long-term care would be the theater of war and that that was where all the effort should go. And it proved to be true that 80% of the deaths happen in long-term care, if I can toot my horn. What I got wrong is that we guessed that England would go the route of uh, Sweden. And in fact, Sweden went the other route. We do have time. We do have time for one more quick uh, comment from you. If you, let's move ahead to today or, and ask you, what do you see for the next 12 months? What do you want to see happen? What's most important that we do and what's most important that we don't do? The, the biggest is to learn from our mistakes this round. We, we, we repeated the mistakes of the first wave, especially with regards to school closures. My goodness, we can't ever do that again. I don't care if there are variants in schools. We have to stop this business of closing classrooms and closing schools and moving to virtual learning. I think it's a disaster. That's the first thing. The second thing is we have to learn to find more light touch approaches to restrictions if we're going to do them. Uh, more like what BC did. If you're in Toronto, you still can't dine in a restaurant. You pick up a coffee, you have to run outside with it. I think it's gone too far. Uh, there are other restrictions that are just really, really difficult. You can't go to a gym, you can't work out. So I live in Toronto, but I work in the free range of, uh, free area of Halton where you live. And there are two different worlds, okay? Um, I think we need to move to more similarity between how places adopt. So you don't get region hopping and uh, people comparing themselves with others and having mixed messages. I agree that there has to be changes based on where there's more disease and less disease to some degree, but we have to get something more sustainable, if I dare say uh, a little more Swedish in our approach. If you want to hear more, subscribe to The Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend. I'm Roy Green. Have a great weekend.